as pies. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this opportunity to gather together as family in the unity of the faith. Father, thank you for this church, this little church on a hill where we can gather together in peace and quiet and break bread together. Father, thank you so much also for always being upfront with us, real, and for giving us the convicting ministry of God the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we know right from wrong, good from evil. Father, thank you for the ability to take the precious gospel out to a world that's just fading. Seemingly, Father, just thank you for the opportunity. We pray for those that can't be with us this evening, that earnestly desire to be here. And we pray most of all for those of those in this world that are still lost. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make an evening like this even a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace, they were prepared, part 58. Um, let me start this way, and this came up on uh, Tuesday. I'm sure that the Spirit had um, Scott stand here for a reason. And he said this uh, at the beginning of class, a minister's job is to minister. Just think about it. A minister's job is to minister. We get the word administer from the root minister. How many kids like taking penicillin when they were young? None. Why? Because it tasted awful, right? I mean, now they have cherry and strawberry. When we were kids, it tasted like pine bark and it was awful. Chemicals, remember that? Nobody wanted to take penicillin. It was awful. So nobody takes, nobody likes to take penicillin because it tasted awful. So the person who prescribed it to you, the doctor, has a form of ministry. A minister, by definition. And the person who spooned it into your mouth, often a parent, was the administer of it. Should either of these most helpful people be despised for trying to help you out, in a time of sickness? Should the minister be scorned or the administrator or the administer for giving us good medicine? Your response to love. Should a minister of God's word, when he tells you the truth about your spiritual illnesses and prescribes what the great physician has instructed him to be thanked or scorned. How do you respond to that kind of love? Should a minister of the word of God, when he tells you the truth about your own spiritual illnesses, as prescribed by the great physician himself, be thanked or scorned? I hope you know the answer. I just hope you do. I can say for certain that in my experience over the past decade or so that most people's countenance contorts in rather unattractive ways 
when I administer hard medicine. And for those who continue to march on, even after they scowl a little at the administrator of said medicine, is through spooning it to them. Eventually, these same people are healed. And you know what? They're grateful. I mean, what kid isn't grateful to be back out in the playground a day or two later after a mom or pops or whoever gave them some penicillin that they despised and scowled at and, you know, said all kinds of things under their breath at the administrator? <laughs> Eventually, that person, when they're healed, is grateful. Amen? Yeah. So I want to give you a little analogy. Um, this is Peeny, my mother's dog, short for Peanut. He's this big. He's supposed to be like this big, but he's this big. Peeny was born the runt of the litter with water on his brain. By all accounts, he shouldn't even be alive. Yet, if you were to visit my mom on this very night, you'd be greeted by a little, let's call him interesting-looking, ornery as heck chihuahua. I mean, this thing is ornery. My mom told me a story about him the other day that I'm thinking of right now. He needed his nails cut, but... As he's affectionately known by his vet's office, he's the worst dog <laughs> of all. He's this big. Nobody wants to deal with him. He's the worst of all other dogs treated in the facility. <laughs> While he's easily holdable in the palm of your hand, it takes several people, I'm not lying, several people to hold him down while being examined, and especially if he's having his nails cut. So, as, <laughs> as you can imagine, my mom spreads out trips to get his nails cut as far as possible. Well, the other day, Peeny got both of his front paws snagged in a throw pillow. His somewhat lengthy nails had been his demise. My mom said that she received several bites on her fingers as she went about extracting Peeny from the pillow. I would have been, that would have been fun to see, but she said he was like a little wild man, scowling, growling, contorting, not a pleasant scene at all. Now, for whose benefit was she doing that? She certainly wasn't enjoying the biting. Once freed, Peeny offered no apology. <laughs> My mom had to accept that what she had done for him was a good thing. And that alone would need to be enough for her. Such is the life of a pastor. The end. Galatians 4.16 So I have become your enemy by telling you the truth. I'm here for you, not me. Let me say it again. I'm here for you, not me. I'm here for you because my Lord has commissioned me to be here. 
I was reading a sermon from Charles Spurgeon this morning that really struck me as something worth sharing with you all, my beloved congregation. The topic in this sermon, as this point, uh, at this point in the sermon, was that um, was the Apostle Paul and his very personal attachment to the gospel. That was the subject that Spurgeon was preaching on, the Apostle Paul and his very personal attachment to the gospel. He was so attached to it that he actually called it his own. Go to Romans 2.16, in case you don't believe me. He was so attached to the gospel that he actually called it his own. Romans 2.16 Romans 2.16, on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. According to my gospel, what you should see there is plainly obvious that the gospel was that intimate to Paul. It was really who he was, what he lived for. And some of you might have uh, other things in your life that are... Um, less so than the gospel. But yet Paul's a wonderful model for all, for all of us, according to my gospel. In other words, when you think about the gospel, you really should be that personal with it. Because isn't it the truth that set you free? Yeah. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So it should be that personal. Is your Savior personal to you, or is he just some guy on a tree that you say, thanks for the free ticket? Or is, it, or is he seriously very personal to you, the, most, the best friend you've ever known? And is the truth about him your gospel? Do you hold it that dear? That's how Paul held it. Again, Paul was so enraptured with the gospel, and it was so dear to him, so personal even, that he called it his own. So... I want to read an excerpt from Spurgeon's sermon to you on this topic and sit back for a moment. This is from, sermon, or from uh, Spurgeon. Quote, Is it or is not this expression, my gospel, the voice of love? Does he not by this term embrace the gospel as the only love of his soul? For the sake of which he had, quote, suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, Philippians 3.8, for the sake of which he was willing to stand before Nero and proclaim, even in Caesar's palace, the message from heaven. Although each word might cost him a life, he was willing to die a thousand deaths for the holy cause. Quote, my gospel, says he, with a rapture of delight, as he presses to his heart the sacred deposit of truth. Quote, my gospel, does this not show his courage? As much as to say, quote, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes 
He says, quote, My gospel as a soldier speaks of my colors or of my king. He resolves to bear this banner to victory and to serve this royal truth even to the death. Quote, My gospel. There is a touch of discrimination about the expression. Paul perceives that there are other gospels and he makes short work with them for he says, quote, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Galatians 1.8 the, the apostle was of a gentle spirit. He prayed heartily for the Jews who persecuted him and yielded his life for the conversion of the Gentiles who maltreated him. But he had no tolerance for false gospelers. He exhibited great breadth of mind, and to save souls he became all things to all men. But when he contemplated any alteration or adulteration of the gospel of Christ, he thundered and lightened without measure. When he feared that something else might spring up among the philosophers or among the Judaizers that should hide a single beam of the glorious sun of righteousness, he used no measured language. He cried concerning the author of such a darkened influence, quote, let him be accursed, let him be accursed. Galatians 1 eight through nine. Again, that was Charles H. Spurgeon. I guess the obvious conclusion is, well, what do you expect from a person whose entire being is wrapped up in the gospel? Their entire sense of self enraptured in it. What do you expect from that person? What would you expect? lest you call them a what? Phony. Likewise, not that your pastor is on plane with the Apostle Paul, but what do you expect from me? Better yet, the real question is what do you want from me? Because if you want the unadulterated, unwatered-down truth, then you've been getting it. If you want your ears tickled and your pristine little lives garrisoned against the full force of discernible wisdom, then may I introduce you to the exit doors in this holy place. So my caution to all of you is simple. Do not bite the hand that feeds you, nor the minister who administers truth to you, regardless of how, quote, offended or put off you might be. That's my caution. My encouragement is even simpler. You are blessed. If you haven't figured that out yet, 
I'm not sure what to tell you. But you are truly blessed. Never get familiar with the true grace gifts in your life. I am one of them. More specifically, though, not I, but the grace of God with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Never get familiar with the true grace gifts in your life. Never. As far as I know, some of you, it's sad to say this, and Scott will attest as our treasurer, some of you stopped supporting the ministry for a month or two now. How's that work? How does that actually work? Familiarity, of course. Because the place is always open, right? Why would you need to support the ministry? You only come here and God knows you eat all the food. God knows you're what? There's a fan going over your head. There's an air conditioner on. There are lights on. There's a microphone. Right? When it gets cold, there'll be heat. God knows you suck up all those goods. What's going on? You're familiar. It's not about money. I hope you understand. Money is a symptom. Giving is a symptom. So is attendance. That's a symptom. Or lack of. That's a symptom. So is a lot of things. Never get familiar with the true grace gifts in your life. Paul loved the gospel more than anything. So, having just noted Paul's love of the gospel, it makes sense that he trained up Timothy, a new pastor, to bear the same heart. Go to 2 Timothy 4 1. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. Second Timothy four one. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, be sober, that means not intoxicated. And you can choose your poison, physical, emotional, spiritual. Be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You see what kind of heart that Paul, the one who loved the gospel so much, was trying to impart to his student, Timothy, uh, relatively young pastor. Now, ask yourself, why would the good apostle, after so many years in ministry, be spending so much time on such things with a new pastor? And why would the Holy Spirit record it? Isn't it obvious? Paul was no stranger to the attacks against the gospel. 
to the attacks against the gospel. The gospel was everything to him, as it is with all pastors who have been truly anointed by God. You've heard me say this before. My belief is that there are many, many more so-called, quote, pastors out there standing behind pulpits than what the Lord intended or, frankly, has even anointed. The trickery you see is in the teaching. If you're a good teacher, let's face it, if you're a good teacher, turn on the tube. Do you think any of those super-duper, you know, mega-church evangelists, pearly, white, curly-haired dudes, you think they can't teach? Oh, my word. If they, don't, if they couldn't make it in ministry, they'd make it in industry as a professional communicator. That's how good they are. They're darn good teachers. The problem is they, don't, they haven't been anointed by God. Some of them. So, just to be plain about this, if you're a good teacher... Making the Bible, let's say, your study material, you can fool a lot of people for a long time. But if you really want to know what an anointed man of God looks like, maybe you ought to listen to a text I received recently from one of your fellow congregants. It read, and this was after uh, probably a tough service, I can't remember, it was a couple of weeks ago. Just wanted to let you know, I know you're not perfect, but I see Christ in you. So thank you for submitting to his will for your life. Love you, fellow member of this congregation. If you want to know what an anointed pastor looks like, don't look at his outward appearance or even his ability to teach necessarily. Look at his heart. You want to know what an anointed man of God looks like? Look at his heart. Where's his heart at? Seriously. I'd rather see a bumbling fool. Even Paul said, look, I'm not even the greatest orator. Paul said that about himself. I, he was considered short, probably gimpy, because he was beat up and almost killed a bazillion times. Right? Probably had scars. I mean, he got stoned. He probably had part of his skull maybe caved in. Who knows what he looked like? He certainly wasn't esteemed in that way. And he admits he wasn't the greatest orator. But yet, who's going to argue with the heart of Paul? Who probably irritated more people in his life than all of us combined. <laughs> right? I mean, who's going to argue with him, though? What would you see in Paul? It couldn't have been his outward appearance. It couldn't even have been his speech. You'd have to see his heart. If you see Christ, his love, his humility, his authority orientation, then you're looking at the real deal. That's how you know. Not someone who's trying to hide behind doctrines or hide behind some made-up garbage or who knows what, some religion or some religious community or some big steeple or something grotesque, something ornate or something that doesn't bring glory to God, not that person. You look for Christ, you look for his love, you look for his humility, and you look for his authority orientation. When you find those things in one package, you're probably looking at the real deal. 
Paul often spoke of such things on his own behalf. That's why I'm not ashamed to, to teach this tonight. I know I'm talking about me. And I have no apologies, no reservations whatsoever. Because I know who I am. And I know who I've stood for all of these years. So Paul often spoke of such things on his own behalf. Go to 1 Corinthians 2.1. 1 Corinthians 2.1. It's important to be encouraged this way. And that's what's going on right now. This is not a rebuke. This is an encouragement. This is so you see and you recognize and you gain wisdom. What is the real deal? 1 Corinthians 2.1. Well, here's some more of it. And when I came to you, brethren... I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the heart of Paul. He loved the gospel. That's all he wanted to see in people. That's all he wanted to spread among people. He said, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll become all things to all men so that I can see some saved. <laughs> that was Paul. And by the way, as far as I understand, he was a brilliant man. Didn't matter, though. As far as he was concerned, he said, well, it's a big deal. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. We're going to get to that later on, so that your faith, you ready, would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And before we press on here, let me give you this up here on the board. The wisdom of men, this refers to worldly, human wisdom. There's a whole lot of human wisdom out there regarding what most people would dub religion. I mean, they would look at this church and they say, oh, that's the Christian religion. Um, you know, they would attribute the church and the, the whole package as some gateway to heaven. They get it all messed up. They don't understand it's about a relationship to God through Christ, none of that. That's the wisdom of men. And so there's, uh, there's this sort of uh, dragging on, droning on about human rationalism and wisdom as, as to why they don't believe the truth in the Word of God. That's worldly human wisdom. This is the kind of wisdom that demands rationalizing instead of faith. The kind of wisdom that looks at a man, looks at the man, not the gift. The kind of wisdom that justifies ungodliness as a result. Well, I like that guy. He's a better teacher. He's a better speaker. He's better looking. That's why I go to that church. I like I liked those things in my, in my pastor. If he was ugly, eh. I actually had somebody, a long-term member of this congregation, tell me to my face, if you were a crappy teacher, I would have left a long time ago. And I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, probably. And I appreciated the honesty, but I was like, what the heck does that even mean? Honest to goodness, where is that person's soul? What does my ability to communicate have to do with anything as long as I'm communicating the truth? Honest to goodness, 
And they said, this is a long-term member, one of my longest-term members. Can you believe that? That's the kind of wretchedness that exists in human beings, even in, the, even in this church. So there's a lot of worldly wisdom or wisdom of men, and you have to beware. Think of two Sundays ago. You have to beware of your enemies. They're always at your doorstep from without, from within. And your flesh loves to chew on human rationalism instead of faith. Because your flesh has no faith except in itself and its ability to deliver itself through human rationalism, through human exertion, through human power. That's not the new creature, but that's the old creature. So beware. Again, verse... 2 or verse 5 of chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. What we have, what we have been seeing is the very power of God, which is the Word. This has come up in our studies. What the Spirit's been sort of honing in on, what is the power of God? It's the Word, as far as we're concerned. So, the question on Tuesday was relative to this because we're all prone to forgetting where true power exists. And when we stray from the truth and the word, we find ourselves backing into our old ways. And we're so darn good at doing so. Backing into our own ways, get this, you ready? We even justify it. We even justify it. If I was a betting man, based on my experience behind this pulpit, at least one person isn't here tonight and they're justifying it to their flesh. At least one. With no excuse whatsoever. Do I know precisely who that is? No, I'm playing the probabilities game. It's probably more like five or ten. But that's between them and the Lord. But if I was a betting man, somebody's justifying their absence this evening. And I was thinking about this. Um, I'm not going to go too far off to the side, but all this talk about um, not being fooled and not celebrating worldly things. Some of the things have been getting on my nerves lately. Want to hear them? Okay, great. You're going to hear them. <laughs> oh, they're in college. What the hell does that got to do with anything? They need the word more than ever then. Because they go to that stinkhole. Oh, they're in college. Give them a free pass. They can't make it to church anymore. Because they're in college. Let me tell you, my last semester in college, I took in two semesters 41 credit hours. And none of them were cakewalks. I'm talking last engineering courses. Really heavy thinking stuff. And I can tell you right now, even though I was defunct then, I could have easily, easily made a church that was open as much as us every time, had I wanted, had my priorities been straight. Oh, but they're in college, or their job, they travel for their job, or they're doing this, their job is just so tough right now. Give them a break. No, I won't. You know why? Because the gospel's important to me. Obviously more than them. Stop giving everybody breaks. Big deal. You're in college. Big deal. You're trying to start a business. Big deal. You're, you're getting married. Big deal. You, you fill in the blank. 
What does that matter? Compared to the gospel? What does it matter? Honest to goodness. And most of the things I just rattled off, I've been through. So I'm not talking from, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, Mr. Bald Guy. I do. I've been there, done that. And I will tell you straight up, I was defunct for most of it. It doesn't make it right, though, does it? No, what's right is, like I said on Sunday, if it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Can we stop trying to justify garbage? And even worse, can we stop trying to justify garbage in someone else's life? Can we stop celebrating such things? How do I celebrate somebody who's saying, I don't want to do it because I heard the Italians tell me it's like flipping somebody off, you know, whatever to Christ, because they're what, in school? What's that going to do with anything? I'm supposed to celebrate you? I'm supposed to celebrate your ungodly marriage? I'm supposed to celebrate your ungodly ways? I'm supposed to celebrate all this ridiculousness that you're doing? I'm supposed to celebrate that in lieu of uh, the, the gospel itself? You're spitting on, the, the, on Jesus Christ? Crucifying him all over again? And you want me to celebrate that? You tell me how that works. As a true ambassador of Christ, you tell me how that works. Because you know what? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We're just so good, aren't we, at justifying ungodliness. Not just even in ourselves, but in our loved ones. Oh, no, no, leave them alone. I'm not going to leave them alone. I'm not going to attack them personally, so I'm not going to wait outside with a, you know, boo, you know. Here's the gospel. Eat it. (laughs) I'm not going to do something stupid, but I'm not going to leave the topic alone. Do you understand? I don't have anybody in particular in mind. I mean, people float by, but whatever. What are we doing? So the question that came up on Tuesday was, are you a master justifier? Focusing your time on how to get away with things? Justifying why it's okay to do certain things? Even using scripture out of context to do so? Is that you? I don't know. Drop from your life whatever you've been rationalizing. Change your perspective and just follow his ways as an obedient child. There's that O word again. As an obedient child. The challenge was made from the pulpit on Tuesday. These aren't even my slides, if you remember. You have limited time and energy. Are you a master justifier, or will you be a master follower, a master giver, and a master lover? Use your time and faith wisely. The Lord's coming soon. You don't know when he's coming. So again, in your own life, what is it that, what are you celebrating? How about celebrating being alive? How about celebrating being given the truth? being an owner, a possessor of the gospel truth. How about saying to yourself, this is my gospel. This is my gospel. You are my Lord. How about that? For starters, instead of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel being some kind of a speed bump in your otherwise ridiculous life of speeding towards the world, I'll make another bet with you right now. I'm not, who will never know. But I guarantee you, some of you right now, in your own lives, are premeditating, severing yourself 
from the love of Christ. That's, I know that's hard, isn't it? Premeditating the whole thing. Some of you are the people that don't give anymore. Premeditating the whole thing. Looking for ways out because you can't stand the heat in the kitchen anymore. Because the light's been turned on in your life and all the skeletons fell out of the corner. And the lights just keep flicking on. The bald guy, he's, oh, he's so persistent, isn't he? He just what? He's like a row of 180 lights. He's got click, 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 and every Sunday is another light, and you're hiding over in the corner, and it's getting crowded. You know what I'm saying, Joey? <laughs> it's getting crowded. I'm not saying Joey. Everybody's like, oh, it's Joey, <laughs> right? Could be. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it is. I don't know. You don't know. Maybe it's Scott. Maybe it's Ann. Ann, why are you laughing? <laughs> and he's like, no siree <laughs> that's none of your business who it is that's between them and the Lord it's none of my business really but I know why he's got me teaching this stuff it's because it's necessary so you know stop justifying things stop justifying things in other people's lives all right with that said, since we've already talked about power, let's get back to power. Why the apostles so encouraging after all? By grace they were prepared. But, but, they lack some things. Understanding, humility, faith, commitment, and now power. Through scriptural analysis so far, we've concluded that faith is power. The reason the apostles didn't have the power to cure the man's son was they lacked faith. Jesus had already given them the ability to cast out demons, Matthew 10, 8, a year prior. He said, Matthew 10, 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. He said, go for it. Problem was, their faith failed. So they didn't have the power to cast out the demon. The Spirit gave us some personal encouragement. I mean, that's great, right? This is like ancient times. I mean, we're not casting out demons necessarily. Faith is power. How about this? Some of us lack the power to overcome much smaller obstacles in our lives than casting out demons, for example. And it's not because God's power is insufficient somehow because he is omnipotent. The reason is simple. We lack faith the same way the apostles did. He said, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. You worried about a demon? No wonder why the demon didn't come out. Because your faith is so little. That's the same thing. Why, why are we not being delivered? I mean, let's face it. Moving a mountain, why would you ever ask that? Maybe it's in your way. Right? Okay, you had a mountain in your life, right? You're like, oh, man, God, can you please move this mountain? I'm tired. I don't really feel like going all the way over there and going around. I'm speaking figuratively. You might pray for it, he moves the mountain. Why? Because you had faith. If you don't have the faith, guess what he doesn't do? That, ought, that person ought to expect what? Nothing. Because they're double-minded. Oh, the dip suit cost. There it is. You remember that? Why do you want the mountain moved in your life? So you can trudge on in the world some more? So you can get better grades in school? So you can get a better job? Get higher pay? Why do you want the mountain moved? Seriously, ask what your motivation is and then wonder why God doesn't move the mountain. And why are you so depressed about it? I'm serious. What are you so depressed about? The fact that you don't have faith? Or the fact that the mountain won't move so you can continue with your ungodliness. 
Which one depresses you? I would argue it's the second one for most people. I'm not getting what I want. Now I'm depressed. That's the whole world of unbelievers and some believers. I only speak the truth. We lack faith the same way the apostles did. Now, on Sunday, the Spirit drew our attention to the intrinsic connection between faith and power. He's sort of whittling it down a little bit more specifically. What do we lack? Faith in general, but also in the power of the Word of God. So this gets a little bit more to the answers, doesn't it? Like, okay, so, okay, Mr. Ball guy, okay, you, you convinced me. The Spirit's convinced me. I, don't, I lack faith. Well, I lack power. No wonder I'm not being delivered. Well, what of it? Again, 1 Corinthians 2.5 said, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Maybe that's part of your problem. Maybe your mindset is still in the world. Maybe your mindset is still in the world. Even you're, you're saved, but you find yourself meandering back to your old ways. Absent, where it's absent of the power of God. So let's grab some Holy Scripture for the sake of perspective. I've been promising this for two weeks now. And keep your mind's eye on the exercise of power as it relates to the Word of God. Go to Psalm 33.6. Psalm 33.6. You want to talk about power? All right. Let's talk about power. And I'm hoping after just a few short examples here, there's not going to be any doubt in your mind about the power of the Word of God. Psalm 33.6. Remember, remember God, Jesus Christ, is the Word. He's never spoken anything that's not the Word. What He speaks is the truth. So whether it's here or He was right here speaking, it would be one and the same. It'd be unity. Remember I taught you on unity? It's one thing. Whatever comes out of the Lord's mouth, it's the Word. He is the Word. Okay. Psalm 33.6. By the Word of the Lord... The heavens were made. Oh, how's that for power? And he can't deliver you from your little piddly problem? So what's, what's missing then? Faith! Isn't it obvious? What the heck is missing? Faith, that's the difference. The word's omnipotent. All right, I better hurry on because this is only our first passage. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. That means you, me, the angels, the decree, everything. <sighs> Done. How's that for a display of power? Not convinced? Go to 2 Peter 3.3. 3. 2 Peter 3.3. 3. Let's talk about the power of the word. 2 Peter 3, verse 3. Second Peter 3, 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Second Peter 3, 4. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they made... That sounds like human rationalism to me, doesn't it? Well, nothing's really happening. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water 
and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Do you get the power yet? If not convinced, go to Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews 1.3. want to talk about power. Hebrews 1.3. Remember, who is the Word of God? Jesus Christ. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the Word of His power. Upholds all things. That means, look, you ready? You ready? Watch this. You ready? Look at it. Everybody look. Why isn't everybody looking? Hey, look at it. How'd that happen? That's called physics. If I'm not mistaken, 32.2 meters per, squared, per second squared. That's called the acceleration of gravity. <laughs> oh, no, it's actually 32.2 feet. It's 9.8 meters squared. I'm losing it. If Jesus Christ wanted this thing to go, he could. The only reason we can depend on science is because he upholds the laws of science. Don't ever forget that. So all these idiot scientists that are trying to use the laws that he upholds to disprove that he exists, it's ridiculous. How about Hebrews 11.3? How about Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Go to James 1.18. James 1.18. I'm just doing a quick survey with you to show you, to remind you about the power of the word itself. James 1.18. You wonder why you, you lack the ability to be delivered. You lack those things that you, you so supposedly earnestly desire. You lack that power. James 1.18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Okay, we already know after a year and a half, two years of studying the gospel, that you being saved is a miracle. A miracle, not kind of nice, not even just a free ticket to heaven. That's a mistake, remember. You have been changed. That's a miracle, literally. So he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's how powerful the word is. I choose you. Done. I choose you. Done. I choose you. Done. We call that election. I choose you, 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 all in eternity past. Done, 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 done. Amazing will take that kind of grace, but not have faith that he can deliver us in time. What? Again, the point the Spirit's making is we lack faith, specifically in the power of the Word of God in our lives. Point on the board, what do we lack? Faith in general, but also in the power of the Word of God. So, 
He's getting to something. It's on the table. The chips are on the table. So what's the remedy to a lack of power? Well, you do the math. If by the word the Lord makes things happen, what do you think you need? Go to Romans 10.17. Romans 10.17. So what's the remedy? Romans 10.17. If the word is all-powerful and you are powerless, um, I'm going to let Scripture put these two things together. <laughs> Romans 10.17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by what? The word of Christ. You lack faith, you lack power. You want power, you've got to have what? The Word. As the Spirit pointed out this past week, our faith must have a viable object if we want true power for the sake of deliverance. Not human wisdom. That was the caution from Scripture earlier. Paul didn't want that. He didn't want you to rest on human wisdom. He wanted you to rest on the power of the Word of God. That's the only thing that can ever deliver you. So again, that object, of course, is the Word Himself, a.k.a. the Word of God. That's why Colossians 3, 16 and 17 up here on the board says this, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, are you ready? Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father, whatever you do. Go to 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Again, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. Do you ever think about that? It's the Word of God. This is not like some dude penned it. This is the Word of God. The author is God himself. But for what it really is, the Word of God, you ready? Which also, guess what? Performs its work in you who believe. Now what do you suppose that is? Do you want to move a mountain? That's the work. What did we just learn? If you want faith, faith comes from what? Hearing the word of Christ. Faith is power. It's like knitting something together, right? It's kind of easy. Up here on the board, let me help you though. Performs its work in you. This is the word of God. The word of God is meant to sanctify you, make you holy, separated for God's good purposes in time. We call that in theology, experiential or progressive sanctification. If it's not working in you or your life, then you lack faith in it. You'd rather choose 
a cafe, mate, latte, guapo, cappuccino, frappuccino, extra hit of caffeine, glutton bucket with a curly straw on it. Then the word of God. I'm serious. Your faith's object, mother, that's a misspelling. Yes, Monica. Send me an email later. Your faith's object must be the word. Look, if you're miserable, I know some of you right now listen to my voice. Some of you here, some of you online. You're miserable. It's no mystery to the rest of us, by the way. You're miserable. Why? Because you don't have the power to be delivered from your own ridiculousness. And the only way out is the word of God. And it's the one thing you've refused. It's the one thing that you've premeditated. It's the one thing that you've systematically divorced yourself from. Oh, trust me, I see it. It's the one thing that you're continuously finding ways to sort of, you know, let go of another finger. And let go of another finger. And then let go of another finger. And you're gone. The one thing that can deliver you, and you're making excuses, you're justifying. Oh, well, such and such. You know, I just can't make it in this area anymore. Oh, please. I'll buy you a violin and some lessons. Please. God's grace is insufficient then, isn't it? John made it with a camel hair outfit and ate bugs. Are you doing that with your cappuccino, frappuccino thingy? Are you do is anybody in here doing that? I don't think so. I don't think so. And, and the world will tell you that if you, don't, if you can't buy, I'm not going to repeat that thing because it's fictional, obviously. If you can't buy that glutton bucket thing, by the time you're 25, if you're not self-sufficient, if you're not making you know, 100 grand a year or whatever it is your goals are, you're a failure. Therefore, the carrot is set. Therefore, it's okay to leave Christ behind while you go get your degree. It's okay to leave Christ behind while you find your mate. It's okay to leave Christ behind while you make payments on your new gas-guzzling SUV. It's okay. Do you get it? It's okay to put Christ behind because your kids need you right now. It's okay to do all these things. And it's okay to encourage and even celebrate those things and others. Yay! How is the Word supposed to perform its work in you if you're absent? When the Holy Spirit's giving classes, teaching classes. I'm not talking about just here. I'm talking about in your life. You know, like... Yeah, this isn't the only classroom. How about life itself as a classroom? But you're too intoxicated with the world. That's what the Spirit's been saying. You want power? You get the Word. You want power? Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be what? Dissipated. Be filled with the Spirit. You want real power? That's how it comes. That's not Pastor Ed. That's the Word of God. That's the holy word of God. As we just saw, the word of God is what? All-powerful. 
So you might ask yourself, and I've got to close, I mean, how, how do I know for sure if I have faith in the Word? Right? I mean, how do you know? You might say, oh, man, this is getting kind of complicated. It's like, you know, he's weaving stuff together. It seems technical. It's not really technical. It's just common sense. But you might step back and go, well, how do I know if I have faith in the Word? Then how do I know, Mr. Smarty Pants? You ready? You shall know them by their what? Okay. Are you or are you not obedient? Are you or are you not obedient? Go to Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. And if you have an authority in your life, are you obedient to it? You're listening to one. I don't just speak for my own good. Do you listen? Do you? Or do you find some sickening way to justify your ridiculousness? Are you or are you not obedient to the word? That's how you know whether or not you have faith in the correct object. Are you obedient? Because if you're not obedient, then you lack faith. I didn't say that. That's the word of God. What do you want me to tell you? I'm going to lie to you? I have to go get curly hair. I got to go get a rug. I have to get some teeth whitener. I don't know. Probably straighteners. I've got to get braces too. I don't know. Probably have to cut this thing off. Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. Ah, oh, you mean not just when you go to church? Not just when the pastor or the shepherd's present? Yeah, no. Only a jackass sheep does that. Oh, pastor, I'm so obedient. Look at, oh, look at what do you, you need anything? You need anything? You need anything? <laughs> Some of you are like, that doesn't look like me at all, mister. You get my point. It's <laughs> frolicking with the world. You didn't get it. This is, but I'm not an actor, so give me a break. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, don't be a hypocrite. Don't lack integrity. Integrity does the same thing when no one's looking. Remember that. But now, much more in my absence, probably why some of you, are, I mean, maybe I should put the, I would never do this, but I wonder, Maybe I should put the giving chart on the wall. Say, this is who's been giving. This is who's not been giving lately. You know why? Because it's in private. There's a little bucket back there. So nobody really has to give, do they? Because you can do that in private. Right? There you go. But now, much more in my absence. In other words, do it all the more to bring glory to God. Why would you need comp compulsion? Why would you need to be compelled that way? Bring more glory to God. Do it when nobody's looking. That's what I love about not having the basket anymore. Because nobody needs to know. It brings more glory to God for, for you people to be faithful when there's just a little box back there. It gives, brings more glory to God, but some of you are shaming yourselves in the process before the angels. But now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. For it is God who is at work in you. For it is who? 
God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for, guess what? His good pleasure. All glory and honor go to Him. I just wrote a blog. God doesn't answer to us. Do you know why? Because this isn't about us. This is about what just we just read. It is God who is working you, at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. When He's able to sanctify you, which He does, you are, it's impossible for you to sanctify yourself. When He sanctifies you, it brings glory to Him. That's His motivation. You might say, wow, that sounds egocentric. If there's one being in the world that can be egocentric, quote-unquote, it's God. And that's perfect, by the way. It's not negative like it is with it's a human. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This echoes of the point on the board and from uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. And I've got to close up here on the board again. The word of God is meant to sanctify you, make you holy, separated for God's good purposes in time. If it's not working in you or your life, then you lack faith in it. Your faith's object must be the word. Let me just finish this with you. Are you still at Philippians 2.13? All right, let's just finish this and I'll close. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Some of you are probably already grumbling in your own soul. I must have stayed with Ann. Why is he sorry? Doesn't he know the game's on? It's like three past. Doesn't he know? Do all things. That means watch a Patriots game. Unless you're voting for the Tampa Bay. Yay. Without grumbling. I'm just kidding. Just trying to tease. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Are you a light? Not a bud light or a cause light. Are you a light in the world? But it's game night. I know. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. That's the heart of Paul. You see it? Gospel's everything to me. I just want to see you guys finish the course. I'm spent. I'm, you know, I finished the course. I'm just about ready to be martyred here. I'm out of here, right? I want you to follow my lead. I want you to see what I've seen. Hold fast the word of life. This is not life. That little thing you call life is not life. Life is eternal life. Get that straight in your head. This little life that you're clinging to and all the little trinkets and the little worldly things and the little idols and all that kind of stuff, it's not life, that's death. Life is eternal life. That's true life. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word here this evening. Thank you so much for always being real with us, making things clear, making them inescapable even, but they are for our own deliverance. We just ask your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.